Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hi, this is Henry Gilroy, co-executive producer of Star Wars Rebels. You're listening to Aggressive Negotiations. Welcome to Aggressive Negotiations, coming at you live from Lothal. I have to say, I love being back on Lothal. It's just so, it's just, it's really nice since they've fixed everything up. You know, once the Empire was gone, a great planet. So, I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he is always, just the phenomenal, just the phenomenally wonderful, talented, brilliant, and, well, just a joy to be around Jedi Master John Mills. Well, all of those things are untrue, but I appreciate you saying them. Thank you, Matt. I am tickled pink to be here <laughs> taking a journey back to Lethal to uh, heap some praise and uh, some retrospective thoughts on uh, one heck of a, an animated show, as it turned out. Can you believe that it's been... At, in fact, this is the coolest part about this. As we're recording, we will be dropping this show... The day that the last episode aired one year ago. That is so crazy to think. It is crazy to think uh, because I still remember getting a little weepy during that last episode. Look, we're going to be in full full on spoiler territory. If you've not watched Rebels, this is one where you're going to have to finish the series because I don't think that there's any way to talk about this because what I'm about to say, I got weepy through that whole ending and then when I saw her, when I saw her in that ending, I it, it was the most joy I felt for a character showing up on screen in a long time. Uh, like I was so uh, overjoyed to see Ahsoka in her her full on garb at the end. It was just magnificent, wonderful stuff. It was a presence I'd not felt in. Oh my goodness! It was. Uh so good yes it was so good and what's so good of course is that everybody finds us on the nerd party uh, nerdparty.com slash contact you can find aggressive negotiations and send us a note uh, and you can find the show at the jedi masters on twitter you can find the network's account at join nerd party you can find the nerd party on facebook and instagram uh, and of course please feel free to give us a rating and review and or subscribe to us on a whole host of services from Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, to Spreaker, to Spotify, to iHeartRadio. We're, we're everywhere you want to be. So give us a subscribe and follow along. And um, if this is your first episode of Aggressive Negotiations, to you we say welcome. We do say welcome. Um John, I want to I want to go back in the wayback machine, uh, and I want to ask you uh, 
for that first episode of Rebels, for the first season of Rebels, what did you think of the show? I was very standoffish about it. Um, I'm pretty sure we talked about this over on 602 Club previously uh, because we would do those season retrospectives in the in the early days. Yes. And I remember it wasn't a feeling of being underwhelmed per se, but it was a feeling of, huh, it was just, it was, it was disorienting. And I think it's because, and I fully acknowledge that at least part of it was I had such a love of the Clone Wars and its cancellation still hurt. Yeah. That going into it, I didn't get that same high what, what about you? I remember the very first episode, you know, because they did basically the intro movie um, for everyone, which was great. You know, uh, uh, Spark of Rebellion was, I think, a, a good way to introduce everyone to the show. And uh, I think it was pretty well done. I, I think the moment that you get... Uh, you know, you have that amazing moment where Kanan pulls out his lightsaber for the first time and he's mm. like, kid, I'm about to let everybody in on the secret. Hmm. And it's just such a, I mean, that is a great moment, you know, and it's, it's I think, a, a really fantastic way to kind of sell the beginning of this show. Mm. Um, so I, I I had good feelings, I think, for the first episode. And, and then that first season kind of felt like it middled around a little bit. And I, I don't know, my guess is, I could be completely wrong, but my guess is, is that some of that is the Disney influence that, you know, you know, I think maybe Dave might have had to wade through uh, till he could kind of go where he wanted to. And I think that it really started to pick up steam by the end of the season and then of course the moment that Ahsoka walks down the ladder we're going to talk about a lot of Ahsoka moments because I think she really sold that for me okay this is where this show is like it was such a mind-blowing moment when it's her walking down that ladder and I I can my wife can attest I actually jumped up off the couch and kind of did a little dance because I was so excited that, well, at least for that moment, the question had been answered, that Ahsoka lives. <laughs> yes. Uh, before that, see, in the first season, I agree with you, it's very, it's very much finding its way. And it was easy to forget because Clone Wars had gone on for long enough that Clone Wars had its, you know, I think Clone Wars had a stronger beginning, but it too, you know, felt its way around a little bit. I think it was helped by the fact that it wasn't a linear storyline with Clone Wars. So you didn't have a whole arc to have to try to get into. It popped around. You know, and I, I really liked that about the release order of Clone Wars, and I think it, it did help. But with Rebels, it was uneasy sailing for me until the midseason break which is when they went to the Jedi temple and you, that was the first moment where I felt, oh, okay, we're connecting here. We're, we're not just building a new crew. We're tying this into the bigger story. And yeah, you know, I, I know that some people are not enamored of the idea of that 
of feeling that it's uh, obligated, I guess, from their point of view. But this story doesn't exist in a vacuum. And so knowing where it is in its place in the firmament, that was very helpful in the first season. Well, I think, you know, I, I really like you calling that out because I, I completely agree with you. You know, the the moment we went to the temple and, you know, we we had an introduction to Yoda in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they brought Frank Oz back to do Yoda as well. They were able to get him, which was fantastic. And I think there's a real sense at that point that, yes, they they want to do the same thing that Clone Wars did, which was... We're going to use Star Wars mythology to tell our stories, you know, and I think that was a moment that really keyed me into, yeah, we are not going to forget the fact that we are part of the Star Wars mythos and we're going to connect where we can and when we can to those those bigger, larger arcs. Um, I think, you know, it's so fascinating to me because one of the things that the show I uh, does so well is it straddles the fact that it's it has its own identity. This is the story of these rebels, mm-hmm. but it also is able to carry forth the story of the rebellion uh, and the, these characters and, and to service people like uh, a Rex or a Ahsoka or, or those places where you could connect back with Clone Wars and kind of create this nice cohesion, this nice cohesion between prequel trilogy and original trilogy and you know even then to working with rogue one so it just and and then of course the way that solo ends up working with all of this too it's like mm-hmm. you have this wonderful palette that brought all of those things together in a way that you know i think was george's um, uh, original idea with the clone wars for what it would do for the prequel trilogy and i think dave saw the opportunity there to do the same thing for the the dark times you know And I think that it's also important to call out that it's not just being a, you know, a quote unquote, the the popular pejorative, a fanboy and saying that uh, I, we, you, whomever, well, I got to know all of these things in relation to galactic politics and everything. I think that once they started bringing those elements in, I think that the show actually got more comfortable with itself. The characterizations of the main characters became more organic and fluid. And I think that's specifically because there was no weight to them that it's because there was no uh, great dramatic weight to them before those moments. And I think that once you give the story and the characters those, that canvas, those guide rails this is where you are, I think that at that point, the characterization started getting clearer and more distinct for all of the characters. They were no longer just characters that were there together on screen. They started coming together as a family, which is what they were always intended to be, you know, a space family. But I think that having that greater uh, sense of place and purpose helped make that more fluid and dynamic. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think one of the most interesting things, too, was, I mean, let, I, I think Sabine is a, is a really good example of this, which is, you know, 
for so much of this series, I felt like we waited and waited and waited to try and kind of figure out this character. And there were a few moments where I felt like, oh, wow, she has a really complicated and, and like, it feels like very full backstory for a girl of like, you know, the age of 16 or something. And they really brought it all together, though, in those later seasons when we started to connect to Mandalore and we started to connect to her family and we started to connect Mandalore and what had happened after whatever happened in the Clone Wars. We know mm-hmm. the siege of Mandalore happened uh, from the beginning of the Ahsoka book and, you know, hopefully we'll get that in the Clone Wars. But, you know, I she's a character where I, I feel like each one of these characters gets a great arc and hers, I felt like, maybe took possibly the longest to finally see come to fruition Mm -hmm. but each one of the characters and she just happens to i think be the best example of this is just we really went somewhere with each of them we we took them on a journey and each one of the characters except for maybe chopper who pretty much ends up staying the same uh it's kind of like r2 you know not not a lot of journey there but he helps along the way for everybody else um but each one gets their own unique, specific journey, mm-hmm. which is so special in a show like this. And I think, you know, Dave found a way to really, you know, the Clone Wars have this big, massive canvas where we're dealing with all of these different Jedi. But we are focusing on kind of these main characters, but we'll still focus on a lot of other stuff. Here, it really was about this family being a family, like you said, and and their journey together. And each one of them kind of had a very unique arc. Um, and I, I thought, you know, Sabine just being a great example of how special that became by the time you got to the end of the series. And the fact that when you got to the very end of the series, you mentioned this at the very beginning of the show, and she's the one standing there. She had, she did what she promised Ezra she would do. She helped protect his planet, and now she will go and find him. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it was just like... It, it's such a beautiful thing to see that play out. And that's what I think made Rebels so Star Wars because it it created these indelible characters which you can't imagine not existing now in Star Wars. And that's what I think makes for the best Star Wars characters. Like, I can't imagine there not being Sabine or Hera or Zeb or, you know, any of them, Kanan, Ezra, like... You know, like that's amazing. Well, and there's even a uh, redemption arc with Callus, which is a hallmark mm. of Star Wars mm-hmm. that even the bad guys can become good again and that people can get, you know, their their allegiances can be tested. And when they're even if they're supporting something bad, you know, it takes love and patience sometimes just to get them to see the error of their ways and. I think that's a a super important thread uh, with the show. And I think that one of the things that I really loved about it was it continued to challenge my, my perceptions of the way certain things worked. And I mean that specifically in terms of the Inquisitor, the Grand Inquisitor at first, and then the Inquisitors themselves. That was something fresh and interesting that I loved encountering. No, I I could not agree with you more. I thought that was such an interesting thing for us to dive into um, this idea that you know they're they're helping Vader and 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 you know that 
created great tension, which they used in the Vader comic, which I loved as well. And just that whole idea of, you know, taking these um, ex-Jedi and or, you know, Force-sensitive children, which we saw all the way back in the Clone Wars, right? The fact yep. that, you know, Palpatine had been doing experiments on them, basically. So, I mean, I, I just thought, what a, a fantastic way to kind of expound on that. And, and then, you know, I think, too, it's a really good story idea. I, th I think this is something that Henry Gilroy has talked about, um, and is that, that whole... We, and, and Dave mentioned as well, you, you can't have Vader going after them all the time and, and not right. get them or be foiled by them and have him look weak. So it's better to have these type of characters where you can, you know, beat up on them and it makes our characters look better, but it doesn't make somebody like Vader look weaker. And that's never what we want on the show. And so I just, it, as a storytelling aspect, it's just, a, it's such a great idea. And the fact that they were willing like there were so many ways in the first season, even though it didn't completely have me when it did start figuring its way, the fact that they were willing to kill the Grand Inquisitor was stunning to me because that it, that is one yep. of those things where it it actually winds up translating to danger for all of the characters. Nobody's safe. If you're willing to kill a character that I've seen marketed six ways from Sunday and he's got you know, the giant action figure standees and he's, you know, his lightsaber is a toy and I see action figures for him everywhere and you kill him after one season. Um, wow. That means things are going to be getting pretty interesting here. And even, you know, his, his dying sentiment as he goes and he says something far worse is coming. Like that's, that was such a great setup too. Where, you know, you think you think I was bad. Oh, wait until you see what you got to deal with. It's a really, you know, it's a really uh, poetic thing. And then just the fact that the Inquisitors themselves were so interesting and so distinct on their own. Um, you know, Seventh Sister and Fifth Brother, just what do those names even mean? What is that? Is she number seven? He's number five. Or there are a ton of brothers and a ton of sisters. Like that whole thing where just a name can make you question everything that's going on is such a cool aspect to it. And I think that um, it's one of those things where this is a classic example of a show that got bet got better as it went in the most important ways where the later seasons made the, the stuff I didn't really care for in the earlier seasons better and made me appreciate it and want to bring it along for the ride. I mean, if you find a way to redeem puffer pigs and purgle episodes, yes, you know, it's, it's, and I think that there's a real genius in that because I, I remember at, last year um before dragon con because i was doing the the final panel with henry uh about rebels ending so i watched through the entire se series uh as quick as i could and 
that was something that I noticed is, is how many things that you saw that we would consider like throwaway episodes would end up playing out later on mm-hmm. and that there was kind of, they didn't forget that. And I think that's really smart. Now there's still a few episodes here and there where it's like, hey, I would have, you know, I could have done without that one. Yep. But you know, that's part of every single show, no matter what it is. It could be the best show ever, but you know, I've never seen it, but I'm pretty sure there's episodes of Breaking Bad where you were like, eh, it wasn't the best episode, but you know, whatever. Uh, they tend to be so, in the first season, ironically. That's uh, <laughs> when they were still figuring out what type of show they wanted to be. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's something that, that this show, like you said, it did really well. And on top of that, you know, I think this show, along with what we got in Rogue One, which they made for nice pairings anyway, we really, I think, create a super scary Darth Vader Oh yeah, I I feel like he he gets back that mantle of being the scariest villain. You know, just the way I mean, even that that episode where you know they're fighting Vader and he's just like tossing them left and right, and you know they pull down the walkers on him and he's yep. just lifting them up, and it's just like, okay, this guy is as scary as it gets now again, and then you know. A, we carried that forward again to Rogue One in that moment there, and you're just like, okay, the the power radiating radiating off of this guy is just off the chain, you know. So I think that's one of the things I really appreciated when they did use characters like a Vader or a Tarkin or you know these legacy characters like that, or the Emperor when we see him, they use them oh. just magnificently. Like Dave understands to how to use these characters and make them that nightmare that you remember as a kid, you know, watching the original trilogy for the first time. I think something super interesting is that uh, over time, we've lost sight of the real terror of Vader and the real danger and darkness of the Empire. Yes, we all know Empire Strikes Back as the dark one, blah, 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 all that stuff. I'm talking about Vader became an embraced anti-hero. Some of his menace wore off and he became almost like a pet bad guy, uh, emotionally speaking. But Rebels shows how the Empire didn't immediately become the Empire we encounter in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, that it took time to get there. And so it makes sense to see Vader's power like on an upswing at this point, that he is starting to hit the zenith of his power and these characters are the first ones unfortunate enough to run across him when they do. And it does, I think, add a lot of menace to the galaxy uh, and then pays forward and knowing everything with Thrawn that's involved in this show and the fact that there was a competing program with the Death Star, that's such an interesting thing because now you look at the Death Star and you say, wow, would things have gone differently if the you know the, that that uh, Thrawn's program had, had been funded and and all of those sorts of things? That's a that's a super cool thing to have to sit there and ponder and say, oh wow, would Thrawn really have beaten everybody? And on top of that, here's this animated series bringing back a character that we'd all had to say goodbye to, and bringing him back in an amazing way and making him ridiculously scary and 
everything that you, you know, he was like uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. There was never really an expression of the Joker that was quite like that before Heath Ledger. But once Heath Ledger did that Joker, you said, that's the guy that was always in my head. That one. That's the guy. And this Thrawn is exactly like that, where he walks on screen and the way he talks and moves, you say, that's the guy that I had in my head when I was reading those books back then. Him. Yeah, I I loved the fact that, you know, we brought back a character into canon like Thrawn. And what I loved is that I feel like, in many ways, and I, I don't know if Zahn would agree, but just from my personal opinion, I feel like he was able to add dimensions to Thrawn that weren't necessarily there before. And part of that is that he isn't quite a bad guy, but he's not a good guy either. He really is somebody who has this really gray center. And what he's doing is for motivations that are honorable, right? He, he's actually trying to protect his own people. But by doing so, he's also propping up this, you know, horrible empire. And, and the fact that he's willing to do that is and, and rationalize it, you know, is one of the things that makes him so scary. You know, that cold logic. And I almost feel like, you know, he kind of becomes the, he, the villain then that because he only really uses logic, you know, you can logic anything, right? And that's what we see is that Thrawn can logic just about anything. But and what's beautiful about the way they brought him back in as well is the fact that the the ancillary books, you know, Zahn getting to rewrite him absolutely work. And I love them. I've I've sung their praises. But the Thrawn on screen isn't reliant on them. If I never touched those new Thrawn books I would still have been really happy with the way Thrawn was on screen. I didn't need that extra material. It's great to have and it supports it and it makes sense and it plugs in and it enriches the story. But they had some terrific voice work uh, for him and just some really terrific arcs where they were able to use him as a foil. And like, this is, this go again, goes back to the clone wars, but it also goes to the inquisitors. He gives shape to, he gives an added dimension to what we've seen before about how the empire works and how Vader works and how the emperor works. Like he, Thrawn gives specific subtextual information about how things work because of, the problems he faces operating within this system that has people like Tarkin. And you see how diverse, really, the motivations can be for everybody. And I, I think one of the things that he really does, too, is that he also becomes a character that helps us see why the Empire won't last. Why the em- Emperor's plan is, f- is flawed, you know, because the way the emperor has everybody kind of continually going at each other's throats isn't isn't something that's sustainable over a long period of time. Yes, that's sustainable when you only have two, right? The rule yeah. of two. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable when you have like 
thousands of people in an empire doing it around right. the galaxy to each other, you know? Um, that dog-eat-dog world just doesn't work. And so I, I really appreciate the way that Thrawn helps bring that to light. And by bringing him in as a character here, we do get to explore the empire in, in a totally new way. And we see all these machinations and, and the, these things that are happening. And, um, you know, it's very interesting to me because an empire under Thrawn probably would have lasted, yeah, you know, hundreds of years. Whereas an empire under the emperor, under Palpatine, you know what, 30 years? Well, I mean, you know, it's that whole idea of, of Thrawn... It, it really is a different sort of you see his view being it's just a different way to play. The the emperor is personal power, smash mouth. He just wants to overwhelm everybody. Thrawn is the one that's fine with killing his opponents, you know, death by a thousand cuts. The emperor just wants to blow you away. Now, the emperor's gamble doesn't pay off, but if it had, he still would have won. He still would have won, but that's the problem is he, his gamble is so huge, whereas Thrawn's gamble is a little bit at a time. It's the person, it's the difference between somebody who bets everything on the, the big hand of poker and the person who's sitting there measuring their bets, watching the players, watching the cards, and maybe they fold this hand and you say, ah, I won this hand, but he, he's got more money in the bank. He's waiting and, he, you know, he's figuring out your tells and stuff like that. That's, you know, that's that's so such a magnificent quality to Thrawn. You know, I think on top of Thrawn, the things that amazed me about Rebels that were completely shocking were the ways in which Dave expounded upon the force and the things that we added, like the world between worlds and um, the idea of that connection and how what I, I loved is that when, you know, Yoda tells Luke that the, the force is, is what surrounds us and it binds the galaxy together, that we have literally seen what binds the galaxy together and how that how deep that goes, what that actually means. And how still so esoteric it is that I don't truly completely understand it. And that's wonderful. Like, yeah, it's a mystery to which I don't truly want explained. I just love the fact that it's there. Yeah. I, you know, I was actually talking today um, because I, I was talking with a colleague at lunch and I mentioned how we were going to be discussing rebels. And he said to me, he said, oh, I never finished it. And I didn't name it. And I didn't say world between worlds. And I said, oh, please, you, you've got to finish the show because there's something that happens in the fourth season that's going to blow your mind. And he looked at me and he said, really? I said, please, please trust me on this one. You're going to get to an episode that happens where you're going to sit there and say, what philosophy class do I need to take to understand? Like, it's that cool. And world between worlds seeing uh the the father the sister and the son again in that in that glorious like i want a poster version of that 
Um, oh, that'd be so great. That, that, that mural. Is uh, a, the, yes. The mural, yes. I want it. I want it now. I, I would pay, like, if it's at Star Wars Celebration, which I'm not going to, if somebody sees it there, I will pay you back. Get it to me. I want that hanging on my wall because I looked at that thing, and when I saw it, I, I didn't just say, oh, my gosh, it's them. I The first words out of my mouth were, oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. It's such real artwork, and that's one of the things that I love about Rebels' style is myself included i was a little hard on it at the beginning but i came to appreciate the fact that they were able to find a way to have their own style and at the same time elevate it as they went and get it um get it to a place that was truly unique and special uh enough so that when i when we meet maul again Mall is the mall we've always seen, but he's a little bit different. Like it's a, it's it's such a fresh way to see a character that you've known for so long. Even though I remember watching the 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 final confrontation between Obi Wan and Maul, I was a little rough on that episode when it first aired, but it's one that really stuck with me. It's one of the ones that's really stayed with me the whole time especially because their final confrontation was so poetic and so gorgeous of the two warriors who, and I'm cribbing from Filoni himself, I think, where he said these are, people said there's only one hit, and he said these guys have fought each other so much, they just go right to the final move. They've played out the entire thing in their heads and they're just going to the final move. And that's Obi-Wan is just able to get there faster than he was. And it's just just such a brilliant moment in the series. Well, and in that moment, you have Obi-Wan who has learned and you have Maul that has not. And that's the difference between the two characters is that Obi-Wan has matured, has grown, has become a better person. Maul has continually stayed in this angry stupor that has not allowed him to move forward in any way, shape, or form. And I think, you know, that's the thing that well, that's also, really makes that so special. That's also a, an important thing that winds up highlighting with Vader is Vader does change. Vader does become worse over time. And so you could even say that that's the reason Vader's able to beat Obi-Wan Whereas, you know, yes, I, I know Obi-Wan sacrifices himself, all of those sorts of things. But Vader progresses to a different state of being, a more evil, deeper in the dark side of the force state of being. Whereas to your point, Maul plateaued a while back and never got past it, never could grow past it. And that in and of itself, you could wind up doing a compare contrast with Maul and Vader at that point in their lives and try to figure out, okay, why was he able to advance? And he was, I mean, you know, Maul's a broken person, you know, completely broken. Anakin's broken too. In what way are they the same and different? And look yeah. at that. It's just yeah, from. That sounds like a good show idea. Yeah. And, and that's just here from Star Wars Rebels, <laughs> you know? <laughs> What did I, so one of the things that I think I really responded to uh, 
in this show is the fact that the voice cast made these characters so lovable. And, you know, I, I think it's, it, it would, you know, be, we'd be remiss if we did not talk about these incredible voice actors. You know, um, I think the one that surprised me the most at the beginning was Freddie Prince Jr. Yes. And, you know, just because uh, growing up uh, and Freddie, if you're listening, you know, loved you in films like, uh, you know, She's All That and that kind of thing. Um, So that's kind of how I saw him. But there's something about the way that he played this character of Kanan starting off as kind of the cowboy and then slowly becoming more of somebody that we would kind of see as a Jedi master, basically. And that progression and the way that his voice (laughs) Uh, changes in those moments where, you know, he's just having the heart-to-hearts with uh, Hera and Ezra. You know, those kind of places where uh, the the episode uh, trial, the Darksaber, where he's training Mm -hmm. Sabine. You know, these moments that I think he just brought out the best of whoever he was uh, playing off of. I, you know, there's just something really special about him. And he, you know, I, I, today I would rank him one of my all time favorite Jedi. Like if I'm making a list of the top five, Kanan's actually going to be in that list. Uh, yeah, I'm there with you. Um, and I, I think, I think it's a very worthwhile, I mean, we're not going to sit here and read off like a whole cast list, uh, although we could, but it's a very appropriate thing to point out how key the right voice cast and the right direction, therefore, um, is to these performances. It is harder to sell an animated character than people think. And it's way too easy for people to underestimate the work and talent that a voice actor brings. And I think that Rebels is a beautiful case study in finding the right voices and giving them the right direction to make those characters come alive. Everybody all the way from, uh, you know, Kanan and Hera all the way down to Chopper, um, who had a surprise voice that we found out afterward. But, <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, I, I mean, it, it's just all to say having that right voice talent there and going the extra mile even in the case of getting Ian McDiarmid to come back and voice the Emperor again because it helps sell that character just right. Just right. And I, I like I would argue that with Clone Wars, I mean, Clone Wars, you know, that takes nothing away from the tremendous voice talent there that brought the Emperor to life. But I am thinking that it winds up helping even here because the Emperor is so much closer to that Star Wars Return of the Jedi time period that the people you've picked up along the way who weren't Clone Wars fans, that voice becomes a little bit more important to them. Does that make sense? No, I think it does. I mean, I think it's the reason that you get Frank Oz to do Yoda too for the times that he's on the show. Yeah. Uh, I think that makes a difference. Um, you know, I, 
the the cast of the show is I mean incredible. Um, you know, Taylor Gray was amazing. Uh I loved actually the fact that he wasn't a massive Star Wars fan, you know, when this mm-hmm. came on. He didn't really know that much and so the relationship he had with Freddie became very much that kind of master apprentice relationship and and I think that really comes across on screen. Um, you know, uh, Vanessa Marshall is is Hera is one of my all-time favorite characters now in star wars I oh think yeah she's just in, incredible in what she does with her talent voice wise um tia sircar is is you know sabine is is just a wonderful actress and the fact that she's playing somebody who's younger um she does it so well um, i yep. i never i never don't buy the fact that this is a girl that's, you know, 16 to 17 years old. Um, you know, Steve Bloom as, as Zeb is just, um, I mean, he's so vivacious my, and fun. My quest for a Zeb action figure that's reasonably priced is, I'm flummoxed, man. I'm still, I, I'm, <laughs> it, I'm a little, the, I'm the a little irritated. are hard to come by at a cheap price because they, they did not put a lot of them, um, and so, uh, you know, that's that was really frustrating. Well, um, you, you'd think with uh, Galaxy's Edge opening up and we know that Hondo Onaka is going to be there. Hopefully that means maybe we're going to get another crack at some of those things. I mean, let's hope so. Um, although I do know that the Black Series figures, uh, you're getting a um, they're bringing out an Ezra and a Chopper soon. And Woo! all they need left is Zeb uh, and you can have the whole crew. So. All right. All right. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think this is one of the things that, that Rebels was able to do. You know, the entire show ends up becoming something that I fell in love with. And it's it it went from a place where I started with skepticism and it became something that became a love of mm-hmm. mine in the Star Wars saga. And I think that just speaks for the quality of the show and what it was able to do, the direction that it took under people like Filoni and, and Gilroy and the rest of the writers there, making sure that this show fit within the Star Wars canon, but also, again, like Clone Wars, added something to it. Um, and I think part of the thing that they did a lot of us expected at the end that basically the rebels in this show they would be the death star plan stealing rebels right mm-hmm. and i think the thing that dave did that i really appreciated was is that this show was about their journey and right. their journey was wrapped around this planet of lothal that not only was important that became important in a way that we didn't even understand until the very end when we got to the world between worlds and we realize what it is that this is another this is basically another death star but worse basically if if palpatine can get his hands on this he could irrevocably destroy the galaxy in a way that you know may never return in the way we want it to so i just think there's a real genius in that um of of right. not giving in to and obviously Rogue One already was going to go there, but we just did something special and I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I I, uh, I think that it's it, it serves the added story bonus of it serves the added story purpose of illustrating that just because all of the rebel factions weren't united by this point, it doesn't mean people weren't doing things. The rebellion is still forming. And I think that is great because 
our encounter with these characters isn't just about being a cog in a bigger... As much as we praise, it gave them a place in the galaxy and a role to play in galactic events. Yes, it did do that, but it didn't do it just to have them be a throwaway story element. Their story was not uh, inevitable uh, in any sense of the word. It was, it felt very much uh, organic as a result. There's um, there's another aspect of the show that I think is really fascinating, which is um, I really appreciated in the end a lot of the themes that Kiner was able to create for the show. Yeah. Uh, music wise and I think um, once they kind of let him off the leash to where he wasn't trying to you know basically ape the original series music all the time uh, the stuff that he came up with for this show was just phenomenal hands down amazing and actually became some of the best themes that I think we've had in Star Wars in, in a long time I mean you know next to what we got with Solo next to what we got with um, Rogue One I really appreciate the music that was created in Rebels, and it's really a travesty that seasons uh, three and four do not have an official soundtrack release. The only place you can really hear that music is to go over to Kiner's website because this deserves, um, this whole series really deserves full soundtrack releases in the sense of like picking out the best themes he was able to create because it's great, great stuff. Yeah, it did, it did become great. I think the sound design of the show... Uh, as a whole, uh, was really solid. And that in and of itself warms my heart because we all know how important sound has always been to the Star Wars galaxy. But, uh, you know, so, the yeah, the music, but also the sound design itself was was just a little bit different and just right. And still, it still sounded like Star Wars without being boring to the ear. And having interesting moments like that whistling noise on the planes that that sounded like a, you know, that light, that still small voice calling out to somebody, that sort of stuff was really, uh, really special. I I mean, you mentioned the fact that we connect with um, the rebellion at large. You know, we actually see Mon Mothma make her speech. We get to see see Saw Gerrera. The schisms with Saul Guerrera. Yeah. Um, I think all of that's phenomenal. Um, but I think it, this this all comes back, you know, it really comes back to the the this planet, this this planet of Lothal, the specialness of it, um, and things like I'd never thought that we would see, you know, wolves that talk, that time travel, mm-hmm. well, space travel. Space shuffle, time travel, you know, kind of the same thing. Yeah, time um, and space. It's just, I, I think there's there's something about this show where it was able to do those kind of crazy ideas. Um, and to me, you know, it, it made them work and it never stopped feeling like Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's the cherry on top of the Sunday right there. That's absolutely yeah. right. Well, uh, John, you know, I think we could continue to talk about Rebels for a very long time. Um, you know, this is a show I think that would be really fun um, to kind of go back and like 
rewatch and talk about through, you know, like um, with all of the, the extra textual knowledge, you know, and it, it, being able to kind of connect it all together because it really does work like that, especially since, as you mentioned, this one is so linear really cool but uh if anybody wants to like catch up with you their favorite rebels memories uh as we're um you know talking about rebels remembered where can they catch up with you oh well just look for kessel junkie i'm on twitter uh letterboxd goodreads k-e-s-s-e-l-j-u-n-k-i-e uh you can also find me right here on the network co-hosting a show called retro perspective with mike schindler where we are going through the year of 1994 Week by week, celebrating the 25th anniversary of everything that was both memorable and forgettable and emotionally scarring to endure in 1994. Everything from Steven Seagal to Michael J. Fox and uh, and Quentin Tarantino and beyond. So uh, tune into that. But Matt, where can uh, people locate you if they get lost on the plains of Lethal? Well, uh, you can find me and my furry wolf friends on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd under the name MattRushing02. You can also find me here on the network talking about Harry Potter each and every week with Drea Kaufman over on Owl Post, uh, one chapter at a time. I am doing a couple of shows on the Trek FM network. One is called The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I do the General Geek Show uh, with my co-host uh, Christy Morris. As every week we dive into a fandom that we love. Um, just uh, finished talking about uh, the second movie in the Mission Impossible series as we're slowly moving through the beginning films we haven't covered yet. So that's been fun. And you just never know what we're going to talk about. Um, although I'll give you a hint. Uh, the next week we're talking about ron howard's willow Oof. so that should be a good show and then last but not least you can find me doing cinema stories with my good friend courtney where we talk about films through the lens of faith and uh you know i encourage anybody who's interested we just talked about rogue one on the show so check that out but john i think with all that said i think it's time to head back to the temple and close negotiations master rushing negotiations are closed Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.